welcome to the Brew Crew Review Podcast, the show by fans for fans of your Milwaukee Brewers. Welcome back to another edition of the Brew Crew Review. This is Vince Travato along with my co-hosts Scott Bartell and Craig Mueller being joined by former Milwaukee Brewers outfielder Pete Zocalillo. Pete, how are you tonight? Good, guys. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing great. Thanks for joining us on a uh, random Sunday night in, in March. Much appreciated. No problem. And how's your, uh, how's your offseason going so far? Uh, well, it's not the offseason for me anymore. I'm, you know, retired <laughs> and working, so right. I, I, miss, I miss those days of uh, actually having an offseason. But uh, everything else is going great. Living out in uh, New Jersey now, uh, we're getting about nine inches of snow tonight, so got some time here to just talk to you guys and, uh, you know, give you some of my experiences through baseball. Hey, that's great, and we really appreciate it. So let's just get started. Sure. You were a third-round draft pick by the Cubs in 1999. Can you tell us a little bit more about your draft day experience? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, going back a year when I was a junior, I played at Rutgers University. Um, I was very, I was very high up on the draft boards for my junior year in terms of uh, possibly getting drafted, um, you know, that year. And for some reason, uh, it just kind of fell through for me. So going into my senior year, uh, you know, I really was, was playing with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, really wanted to get drafted my junior year. It didn't work out for me. Um, so then going to my senior year, I went out, um, you know, I had a pretty good senior year, um, you know, and then I got drafted 23rd round by the Cubs. And again, everybody was projecting a lot higher. And for some reason, I kind of slipped through the cracks again. So, you know, once I showed up to the Cubs, uh, you know, um, right after the college season, kind of was playing where I really wanted to prove myself and, you know, went into camp not as one of the guys that was a top five round pick. And, you know, everything was uh, something that I had to work for and something that I had to go out and prove myself and, coming off some really good years, uh, you know, in the Big East Conference at the time, I felt like I was well prepared, um, you know, going into pro ball. It's actually kind of funny that we're talking about this right now because longtime coach Fred Hill at Rutgers University just passed away yesterday, who was my coach and my mentor. And, um, you know, he had a thousand plus wins at Rutgers, a real legend out here in, in, uh, in the baseball world in the Northeast. So, he he really prepared my you know prepared me and the other teammates and everybody else to move on to professional baseball. Um, just about how to go about our business every day, be professional, work ethic, and, and really handle ourselves on and off the field. And you know, unfortunately, uh, we just lost him yesterday. So you know, kind of want to give a little bit of a shout out to him and, and everything that he did for all of us. And, and when I say that he prepared us for everything in our lives, it would be an understatement because he really just was the type of guy that would basically teach you everything about life and, and, and how to carry yourself. And I think going to the Cubs and, you know, coming off a little bit of, of a disappointment of getting drafted, not where I wanted to get drafted, he really, really did prep me well for, for moving forward into pro ball. It's, it's really amazing what a good coach or a good manager can do um, for a guy at, at any level of baseball, I think. So it's, it's a well, tough loss well, for Rutgers. Yeah, we were just talking about it too. And then I think kind of for me what really summed it up for about him and the way he was is, you know, I started. I coached high school baseball a few years ago, and I saw a lot of guys. The way they coached, they they really were screamers, and they would yell at these kids, and these kids feared them. And you know, for for me, just kind of watching this happen, I, I was saying to myself, you know, that's not how Coach Hill was. I mean, I think the reason he got the most out of all of us is because we didn't fear him. We we didn't want to let him down. And I think if any coach can kind of 
get to that point where his players, especially at the younger levels, the players can go into practice and go to the games and come into a, you know, off and off season into the season and, and feeling like they don't want to let the person down that's their coach. I think that's how you really get the most out of your players. And that's what he did for us. It was, you know, he was the type of guy that was like your father that you just didn't want to let, you wanted to make him proud. You didn't want to let him down and nobody feared him. So, you know, seeing a lot of these guys nowadays coaching, you know, they're screaming at these kids and they're yelling at them. These kids are playing with their tail between their legs. It just, to me, I feel like that's what made him such a legendary coach was the fact that everybody that played for him really felt like, I want to go out there and give you a thousand percent because I want you to be proud. I want you to, you know, we don't want to let you down. Yeah. And, and Pete, it's not in our, our prep questions here, but since you brought it up, I guess, did you ever have a coach in, you know, the minors or, or even in the majors that had as big of an impact on you or, or maybe shared some of the same traits or, or not as much? No, they, yeah, I did actually. And it's interesting because, you know, there's I probably a bunch of people um, for me um, throughout my career in pro ball that were sort of like that. Some were my coaches, some were instructors, some were, you know, uh, roving guys, you know, um, some of the names that stick out to me, especially, especially with the Brewers. Um, I would honestly say more, it was more the Brewers than anybody that played for uh, four different organizations. For me, it was, you know, I came up with, uh, you know, when I, after I got traded from the Cubs, I had uh, Cecil Cooper was my manager in AAA, and he was probably the one guy that really stood out for me and somebody that really motivated me and, and felt like he had my back. And, and we always had a lot of good conversations, and they were very positive, and I was pulling off of his experiences of, you know, his career. And, and to me, he was really one of the people that um, really stood out throughout my whole career of somebody that I felt like was sort of that same way, was like I didn't want to let Coop down he, felt like he had my back and he really believed in me and I, I really kind of felt that way about him as well. Yeah, that's that's great to hear and, and as you probably are well aware, Cecil Cooper is still very beloved by Brewer fans uh, in Milwaukee for an 11 year career, um, you know, right. in the big leagues with the Brewers. Um, Pete, I had a question for you. Tell us uh, the difference between going from college at Rutgers to the minor leagues and the, and, and the differences, I guess, in uh, the changes that you had to go through as a, as a baseball player to prep yourself a, to be a big leaguer. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, it's definitely a big change. I think one of the biggest things that people maybe don't realize is that when you when you're in college, it is really that like huge team atmosphere. And honestly, when you get into pro ball, you come in with that. And then you start realizing that, you know, there's a lot of guys that are, they're playing for themselves and they're playing for their careers. And you feel like some of your teammates are hoping, you know, you don't do good so that they move up. And, you know, you kind of lose a little bit of that team mentality in the minor leagues. And you get that back when you get to the big leagues. Because when you're in the big leagues and guys have contracts, they're not worried about, you know, anything but winning. So I think that was a big change for me was, you know, we were – all about the team and coming into, you know, coming out of Rutgers and, and really wanting to win every game when we step on that field. I felt like there was not that atmosphere when you get into pro ball. Um, some of the college guys had it early, but it seems like that went away as you moved up, you know, level to level. It was more of the individual game because people are playing for their lives. They're playing for their jobs and they everybody wants to get to the big leagues and there's only so many spots. So when you start feeling like some of these guys are, you know, rooting against you or these guys are, you know, just kind of looking out for themselves. I think that's a big difference between college and minor league baseball that I don't think a lot of people talk about. That's very interesting. Um, also, I wanted to uh, give our listeners a little bit of an inside perspective on a player's point of view when a trade happens. You mentioned that you were traded 
Um, I know a lot of uh, baseball fans are excited uh, come trade deadlines for uh, their MLB teams, whether or not they're going to acquire you know their prospects or or a, a, you know a veteran to help help them for a playoff push. But sometimes they don't probably think about the, the human element involved in a, in a trade. So from a player like you that was included in a trade, um, I'm just uh, to update our listeners on what that was. At the trade deadline in 2001, you were traded from the Chicago Cubs to our Milwaukee Brewers, um, along with um, the late Ruben Covado for David Weathers. I guess tell us a little bit about um, how you found out that you were traded and whether or not it's one of those things where are you excited that someone wanted to acquire you or is it more of like you're also kind of – uh, not hurt, but uh, affected by a little bit that the organization that's trading you, you're having to leave and leave kind of the friendships and bonds that you've made there. Um, I, I guess what goes through a player uh, emotionally uh, when, when a trade goes down like that? Yeah, it's really a mixed bag of emotions, to be honest with you. Um, you know, from, from my from my experience, when I was traded, I was only traded once. Um, it was really a mixed bag for me because you go from the excitement of going to a new team that they want you and, you know, they, you know, somebody saw something that they liked and, you know, maybe that's a better career path, but it's also a mixed bag of the fact that, you know, this is the team that drafted me. And I was like, okay, so they're giving up on me. They're getting rid of me. Um, I think the other side of it from more of just being a person was I was playing in Daytona beach and I had to go to Beloit, Wisconsin. So it was a little bit of a, little bit of a change in, uh, you know, atmosphere <laughs> there living on, living on the beach and, and being in Florida and waking up to the ocean every morning or going to Beloit, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a change for me. Um, I will say no, it was July 30th and not uh, March 2nd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but I mean, it was, uh, it was a good change for me. It was the right career move, um, you know, for me, not career move, but it was just for my career it was the best thing that could have happened to me. Um, you know, but going there, the, the problem was I went back a level. So I was in high A, um, playing in the Florida State League, and uh, I had already played in the Midwest League the year before at Lansing uh, with the Cubs, and uh, I ended up going back a level for the rest of the summer um, due to some injuries, and they needed a player. So, you know, for me, it was a little bit of, again, a mixed bag of emotions. was happy I was traded, like the new opportunity. Um, but, again, I, I was always in the, in the mode of I have to prove myself, and wherever they put me, I had to go out there and, you know, give it on my all and prove that I could play and hopefully just keep advancing through the levels. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's a good point. I mean, a lot of times people kind of look at it like a demotion or something like that, but that's not really the case at all. It just depends on, I mean, there's so many different factors of why somebody could move up and down a level like that. Um, you had also mentioned, actually, that um, you mentioned a few different coaches that obviously influenced you. Um, what kind of, or what players, I guess, within the Milwaukee Brewers organization um, did you really latch on with or, or really help mentor you? Um. You know, it's funny that um, early on in my career, I felt like I was the one that was mentoring them um, because I was older than a lot of the guys that were there. I was, you know, my roommates when I was, when I got traded, I was with JJ Hardy and Corey Hart. And um, those guys were all my roommates and my, my closest friends. So, you know, they were all high school kids and I was a, you know, a college guy that played four years of college. So I felt like I was more of the one doing the mentoring, um, you know, with them. Um, so, but as I got older, um, you know, and I got into AAA and I was there and then I sort of was the one that didn't have as much experience as some of the other guys. Um, there was a lot of veterans for me, um, in AAA. Mark Smith, um, is a name that, you know, comes to mind. He was a very good friend of mine, still is. Um, he was a guy that played with the Orioles and, 
had a bunch of big league experience and he was with me in AAA. And actually when I got called up, he was up in the big league. So, um, you know, he's one of the guys that stood out in terms of, um, you know, kind of being a little bit of a mentor for me because I, I looked up to him. He had the experience and he was really kind of just preparing me for the higher levels. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Um, and Pete, you were called up then in September of 2003. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that was like and, and how did you hear about it and, and, and some of your emotions uh, of that experience? Sure. So, um, our season ended. So I always, for me, I always thought that if I ever got the call to the big leagues and I was fortunate enough to get that call, it would be the typical way that you get it where you're in the locker room. And, you know, I thought Coop would call me in and, and tell me I'm going to the big leagues if, if that's what they needed. Um, the season ended, I think we were in Toledo um, and the season ended and I didn't get called up. And um, I was, I, I won MVP that year of the team for Indianapolis. Um, I had a pretty decent season. And, uh, you know, I thought there would be possibly a shot because I won MVP. I thought that would help me um, a little bit if they needed somebody. So um, I didn't get called up. The season ended. Uh, I was a little, you know, not – I was just kind of upset. Not upset. I guess that's the wrong word. But um, disheartened that I, I didn't get called up. Um, but it was okay. I went back home. Um, I was living in Bayonne at the time in New Jersey. My wife uh, was living with her family. And uh, it was about a day or two after the season ended, I got home and um, was just kind of watching TV. And I saw that John Vanderwall got hurt uh, in the big leagues. And I was sitting there with my mother-in-law. And I had said, yeah, I said, one of the guys got hurt in the big leagues, but I doubt they're going to call anybody up. They have guys that they already had up there because the rosters were expanded. And at that moment, the phone rang right after I said that. And it was a weird number. And I looked at it. I said to my, I showed my mother-in-law. She goes, maybe that's them calling you. I'm like, yeah, could you imagine? And I answered the phone, and uh, it was Gord Ash on the phone. And uh, he said, Pete, you know, uh, we had an injury up here in the big leagues. Um, if we um, end up uh, needing you, are you around to come out to Milwaukee? And I was, you know, what was I going to say? No, you know what? I, I don't have time right now. I'm going. <laughs> I'm busy. I've got a vacation planned, you know. So I was like, of course. I'm like, if you need me, I'm there. I'll, I'll, I'll walk there if I, I have to. And uh, he said to me, he goes, all right, just wait by your phone for the next 24 hours and we're going to let you know if we make the move. So now I'm like, I'm like, how am I going to sleep tonight? You know, I'm just kind of sitting around going stir crazy. And uh, the night went, you know, the whole night, you know, um, I went through the entire night, didn't hear from them. And then uh, nine o'clock the next morning, my phone rings, same number. And uh, they told me that they were going to uh, bring me up to the big leagues, um, you know, as of today. So it was kind of a, a, a different way that you would think you'd get called up, and it wasn't what I ever expected. But honest to God, I didn't care. To me, it was a dream come true, and I would take it any way I could possibly get it. I got yeah, absolutely. Question. What was so? What was what was what was your first you know your first game like? Was it that night then, that next day, or was it a couple of days later? Or how how did that work? And I I as you started your yes. actual career in the big league. So they had a day off, so I was flying out the next day. And I was going to meet the team that night. So I was flying out the next day. My five called my dad. It was the first phone call I made. Um, you know, spoke to him. And then he's like, I'm jumping on that flight with you. Get the information. So he bought a ticket. So, and my father was a, my father was a long time division one baseball coach. He's the all time winningest coach at Iona college in New York. Um, the division one program. And, and he was just, you know, it's something we've always talked about and always kind of dreamed of and, it was so special that he was able to, to get on that plane with me and we flew out together and um, we got to 
we got to Milwaukee that night and we were playing the Cubs. I, I believe that was yeah, the first game was against uh, the Cubs. And actually, funny story, um, I can actually get into it. it kind of have to backtrack a little bit. But um, yeah. I was when I was drafted, uh, I was drafted by a guy named Jim Hendry, who uh, who ended up uh, becoming the, the Cubs GM for a while. But, you know, Jim was very hard-nosed. He was very tough. Um, when I got drafted and I went to um, spring training for the first time, it was a little bit of an incident where some of the high school kids were, were acting whatever and, and they were playing a lot and I wasn't really playing much and I was just kind of sitting on the bench and during spring training and the manager was getting on me a little bit and I didn't say anything back. Long story short, I ended up getting called into Jim Hendry's office the next day and uh, he absolutely ripped into me. You know, just telling me that I was I was no good. I was there as a favor. I'm a backup for these high school kids. You had a good college career, but that means nothing here. You know, you're lucky you don't get a plane ticket home. Kind of like really grilling into me. And uh, he told me I would never, ever play in the big leagues. He's like, you know, you just go out there and you're a backup and get out of my office before I release you. It's To me, it was a whole, yeah, wow. it was a whole, like, I, you know, awakening moment for me because I really didn't do anything wrong. I was just sitting on the bench and I guess he felt like I wasn't, I was, I was not being a good team player or I was sulking or, or I don't know what read they got on me. Um, wasn't the case at all. I was just kind of being quiet. So anyway, long story short, I get called up um, to the big leagues. Our first opening game is against the Cubs and uh, we get to the field and in batting practice, there's Jim Hendry standing behind uh, the helmet, the batting helmet, while the Cubs are taking BP, and he uh, <laughs> he ended up, you know, waving to me and 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 saying, "Hey, I drafted that guy. I drafted that guy." And, and it was just kind of like really a, a good moment of of him telling me that I would never make it to the big leagues, and, and there I was. But I I honestly think he tried to motivate a lot of players um, through that way to kind of get them to be the best players that they can be. So for that, I thank him. That's that's great. Yeah, and I think that your first three major league appearances were all against the Cubs, your old organization. Yeah, so that was kind of uh, yeah, it was ironic. But for me, I uh, I actually faced one of my teammates. So Juan Cruz was pitching in the sixth inning, and uh, Juan Cruz, um, I pinch hit against him, and he was a kid that I came up with in the draft. I played with Juan for a couple of years, so it actually gave me a little bit of comfort uh, when I got up for my first at bat that it was sort of a familiar face on the mound. Um, but that didn't last long because I think I faced Kerry Wood and then Mark Pryor, my next at bats, which <laughs> them and their <laughs> them and their prime was a little tough. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, so um, you ended up playing for four organizations. Uh, obviously, the Cup and the Brewers already mentioned. You, you also uh, later played for the Rangers and for the Cardinals as well. Uh, do you have any any additional stories or things to add uh, through your other experiences um, before your baseball career ended? Um, I mean, I have a million. I don't know even know where to start. <laughs> I mean, you know, playing playing with the Rangers, I got um, – so I got Rule 5 drafted um, by the Rangers from the Brewers the following year. Um, ended up going to play for them and had a great experience playing with them. We had a great team in AAA that year. Uh, we had like Adrian Gonzalez was on our team, a bunch of other guys. We we had a really, really good team, really good season. Um, for me, it was my best professional career I've, I had um, for stats-wise. And um, just didn't work out for me getting back to the big leagues that year. Um, if any year for me to ever go back, it would have been that year just based upon the year I had in AAA. Um, but we were stacked in AAA. We had a lot of guys that were good. The, the Rangers were excellent in the big leagues. I think they were leading the, the MLB in offense. So, 
Um, sometimes it's just wrong place, you know, wrong time for me um, in that situation because it was definitely one of my best years. And if, if I had a chance of getting back up, I think that would have been the year. And then um, you had 20 games in the show. Do you have, you know, a specific instance that really stands out, kind of a memory that that you'd like to tell um, our listeners about your, your experience in the big league? Um, yeah, I mean, there were, there were so many. Again, I mean, for me, one of the best experiences, I think, is walking into the clubhouse for the first time and, and seeing your, your jersey hanging in, in the locker and actually, my my locker was right next to Richie Sexton, so it was uh, it was really cool to kind of walk in there and and see, you know, Sexton, you know, his his jersey hanging, and then my jersey hanging right next to him, and you know, him just sitting at, at his locker and me going over and saying hi. To me, it was you know, you, you look up to these guys, you watch these guys' careers, and then you're on their team with them. It's just it's very very surreal. Um, it's something that you can't even kind of explain. It's just one of those moments and. I think the other moment for me was, was actually putting on my jersey and, and walking out onto the field for the first time um, and just looking up at, at, you know, the retractable dome in Milwaukee and, you know, seeing that third tier. Because when you're in the minors, you usually play at ballparks that only have two tiers of, of uh, stadium seats. You know, you get to Milwaukee and it's almost like walking out in the Coliseum. You look up, there's a third deck, there's a retractable roof. You have all these guys around you that you've been, you know, looking up to. And it's just a very, very surreal moment. Um, I think it was definitely overwhelming for me in the beginning, um, you know, I think I struggled definitely because I was overthinking it too much. Um, you know, it's, it's, you work your whole life to get something and then you don't want to lose it. So you put a ton of pressure on yourself, um, when you're in that moment. Um, you know, so for me, it was, it was definitely, definitely surreal. What memory do you have of your first major league hit and, um, did you get to keep the ball? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I was facing Tim Redding. We were playing against the Astros. Uh, my first at bat, he was killing me with curveballs. He kept throwing me a ton of curveballs. He had a very good 12-6 curveball. Uh, I think I struck out my first at bat. And then uh, second at bat, I got up there, and, and he started me off with another breaking ball and just kind of started recon recognizing it more and more as he threw it um, to me and threw me another one, and I hit a line drive into uh, right field past the first baseman and got my first hit. And I just remember rounding first. It was a huge relief because it's like you just want to get that first hit, you know, off your back and they uh they stopped the game and they threw uh threw the ball into the dugout and they announced it on the loudspeaker um in front of the stadium and everyone you know applauded so it was a really really special moment uh it definitely sounds awesome um and actually just um uh wanted to ask you a little bit about um what you're doing now I, if you could tell us a little bit about your organization Sure. So um, when I got done playing um, in 2006, so in 2007, uh, my brother-in-law now, um, he was one of my, my teammates and my roommates with the Cubs. He played out of St. John's University, and he was drafted by the Cubs the same year I was. We lived together the first couple of years when we were playing with the Cubs. Um, we started an organization here in New Jersey called the Morris County Cubs, um, Cubs based on the fact that, you know, we both were drafted by that team. Um we started an organization here for, for kids. Um, we have done it the last 12 years. Uh, we have about nine to 10 teams every year now from ages 10 all the way up to 17U and um, compete a, a lot of regional tournaments. We do travel to other states. We'll make some southern trips, but um, basically just kind of taking all of the teachings of what we've learned 
um, from all of the coaches and Hall of Fame coaches and players and Hall of Fame players that we were just around and everything that they were saying and they were doing and all their work ethic and their drills. And we basically took everything that we've learned and we're kind of putting it into these kids at a younger age um, to really help advance their careers and their develop their skills and, um, you know, really kind of, you know, really trying to, to, to bring baseball in the Northeast uh, up a level because it's definitely tough being up in this area compared to some of the other, uh, you know, regions of the country. Awesome. And then um, Scott has a note here that uh, Chase Anderson was also somehow involved with your organization as well, or the Brewer, obviously. Oh, so you're talking about – okay, so no. So so that's what we – that's what we do um, – for our baseball in New Jersey, what you guys are speaking about is I also, um, I run, I'm the director of sales for Big League Impact. And uh, what Big League Impact is, it's a charity organization started by Adam Wainwright with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, and Chase actually was one of the players that's involved in Big League Impact for our charity. So um, how that whole thing started was, so I, when I played with the Cardinals, Adam was my roommate um, when I was with St. Louis him and Skip Schumacher, um, very close friends of mine to this day. Um, still talk to them weekly and have Adam's organization that I, I'm in charge of now with uh, with our uh, the CEO of the charity. His name is Raymond St. Martin. Um, what we do is, for Big League Impact, Adam and Skip started this thing about mm, seven years ago where they came up with the idea of how do we raise money for charity and get the fans involved in a way that they're going to want to come out, have fun, and not make it um, something like a golf outing, just something different. So when Adam and Skip were standing out in batting practice one day, and, and we've all been doing this for years, and most baseball players do it for years, is, is they play fantasy football. And Adam's idea was how can we get leagues started with the fans where they donate money to the charity, they get to be in the leagues, they get to compete with the big league guys in a fantasy football draft, stay in them with the, um, for the league for the year, and all this money goes to charity. So Adam started this organization called Big League Impact where fans interact with the players um, in a fantasy football atmosphere. So year one, he did it in St. Louis. He had fans come to the stadium. They bought seats at the tables for the leagues. Um, all the money went to Big League Impact for charity, um, and that grew from – St. Louis into um, 11 other major league cities um, across the across the country for fans to be able to play fantasy football with major league baseball players. That's, yeah. that's really awesome. And we've got uh, just another minute or so left before we've got a transition and, and we'll start our rapid nine uh, segment with you, Pete. But really quick, um, do you still follow the Brewers at all? I guess that's the, the, the final follow-up question that um, I think our viewers would love to hear your, your take on maybe last year's Brewers team and if you still follow the crew. I, I do I, I do follow um, I for me I follow a lot of the players uh, more so than I do teams a lot of the guys that I interact with a lot of the guys that I'm still doing the charity stuff with um, usually takes up most of my attention with baseball um, but just you know having the Brewers make the run and, and everything it's just great to see you know because when I was there um, we weren't very good and, and the record wasn't very good and, and to see the the turn that they've made in, over the last couple of years and um, some of the you know some of the guys that have been there for a while, you know, Eddie Cedar, who was there when I was there, a great guy, a guy that really helped me through my career, um, you know, to have him be a part of that now and, and, and start winning and, and really see the Brewers, you know, do what they've done over the last couple of years is really satisfying for, you know, for me to have those guys who went through the rough times to, to be there now for, for the good ones. All right, Pete, I had a 
one more question for you. I know that uh, your, your uh, baseball playing days, uh, you said, kind of came to an end in 2006. Um, one follow-up question I actually had to that is I had read online also that you had had the uh, honor, I guess, of being able to compete in the World Baseball Classic for Team Italy back in February of 2007. Is that correct? Yeah, that was uh, yeah, it was actually one of one of the better experiences I had in, in all of pro ball. I mean, for me going into that, um, they had asked me um, to play on the Italian team. There weren't many guys that had any big league experience. Um, there was a handful probably that um, they could choose for the Italian team, and I was fortunate enough to be one of them that they asked me. And, and what a great experience it was! It was really something that I, I have a lot of memories about. Um, you know, just from the fact that it was you know, wearing Italy, you know, jerseys and, and representing your heritage and, um, you know, all of those things that, that come with it was really just such a great experience. The atmosphere was electric. We were down at the uh, Wide World of Sports where the Braves have their spring training in Orlando. Um, and, you know, walking into the clubhouse and all the other Italian guys are there. We had, you know, a couple of Mike Piazza was there. I flew down with Johnny Franco. Um, John Franco and I were on the same flight. We were talking from uh, from New York. Um Frank Catalanato was another one that was there, Jason Grilly. Uh, so a lot of guys from my area, number one, number two, that were Italian, you know, Americans that were playing uh, playing in this. It was just really an, a great experience. And the, just the superstars that were a part of this was really fun to be with. And we had a dinner the night before. Uh, the teams that were there was the Italian team for us. It was the Dominican team. Uh, it was the Venezuelan team. And it was the Australian team. And I mean, you just look at the Dominican and Venezuelan team as a major league all-star team. There was Pujols and Soriano and yeah. uh, Miggy, yeah. Miggy was on Venezuela with Johan Santana and just all the, David Ortiz was on the Dominican. So it was just every major league guy that, you know, um, was an all-star was there. And, and the night before we had a dinner, we're just walking around. These guys are there. Um, you know, it was just really, really great experience. And actually really real quick uh, to finish up, the uh, the coolest thing I thought was, there was four clubhouses um, underneath the uh, underneath the stadium. So we had the Italian clubhouse, the Dominican, the Venezuelans, and the uh, the Australians. And uh, it was really, honestly, so funny to see because you walk into the Italian locker room and the catered everything was catered. So you walk in and there's just the smell of pasta and garlic and, and all the food <laughs> from from Italy and there's bread. And then you walk down the hall and the Dominicans are having chicken and rice and it smells like it just. I mean, it was so funny because. It was truly like really authentic, you know, culture, and uh, it was really a really a cool experience. And and the highlight for me um, was we were sitting in the clubhouse, and um, Mike Piazza stood up and he said, "I want everybody to, um, you know, bring it in for a second. And and in walks Tommy Lasorda, and uh, he comes into the clubhouse and he goes, I, "I don't want anybody to hear this." He goes, "Let's all we're all dressed, we're ready to go out to take the field. We have our spikes on." And he's like, "Everybody go in the showers in the back." So the big shower in the back, we're walking back. Everyone's like slipping on the tile with their spikes. I can still hear the spikes on the tile um, walking back there. And, and Tommy gave us this pregame speech about what it means to wear Italy across your chest and what it means to him and, and what it should mean for us. And just this amazing, amazing pregame speech from Tommy Lasorda. It's just you couldn't even write that in a book. And uh, it was really just such a great experience. And uh, being a part of it was really special. 
Well, that's a that's a great story, Pete. My last name is Travato, so I can uh, relate to right. the smell of garlic and pasta a, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. if it wasn't going to be Team USA, I was pulling for you guys. That was my number two so. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it was great too because they had they had uh, half the team was actually from the Italian national team, and they didn't speak they didn't speak English. They only spoke Italian, and they brought all of their people that that all the caterers that would make authentic Italian food. So it was really just loaded up with the garlic. It was great. What an awesome experience, um, <laughs> truly, especially uh, on that world stage That's also, right. just unbelievable. The experience was, was amazing, and uh, it was definitely well worth it. Very cool, very cool. Well, that's great. So let's let's move into our uh, our rapid nine here. This is our anonymous source, Tom Carter's favorite segment of the show. Pete will just ask you some uh, questions. We'll go around the horn, and uh, looking forward to looking forward to having you on as our guest here for this segment. Uh, first first question for you, Pete. Uh, who was your favorite player, or who were your favorite players when you were growing up? Uh, so Cal Ripken was my favorite player. I was a shortstop in high school. I wore number eight all the way through college. Uh, he was somebody that I really looked up to just the way he approached the game. Um, I was the type of kid that wanted to play 12 hours a day and, and I would never come home if my parents didn't make me, you know, come back home at night. So he was, the he was definitely my role model. That's great. Were you a <laughs> Orioles fan growing up? Was that your number one team? I wasn't. I was a Yankee fan growing up uh, from New York, so I grew up a Yankee fan. But just there was just something about Ripken that I really loved and, and loved watching him play. And uh, he was definitely the guy I had posters uh, in my room. Him and Don Mattingly were the two guys. <laughs> Very cool. Um, what was uh, your most cherished baseball card or piece of baseball memorabilia that you owned as a kid? Uh, as a kid, um, I mean. It wasn't one card in particular. I had, I guess I just had binders of, of all the teams and players of each year that I would try to collect and get every player. And I just remember these blue binders that I had with the sleeves in it that you could put the cards in. Um, and I just loved, you know, opening a pack of cards and getting that stale gum out of it and, and uh, you know, finding players that I didn't have and just making those binders of, of all the years. And um, that was definitely the one thing that I cherished growing up was was going to that you know, that hobby store, um, I don't even think they exist anymore, and you could go in and just buy a pack of cards or buy a box of cards. It was a, you know, highlight for me as a kid. Well, yeah, we, we, us all here on the show, we're, we're huge baseball card collectors. During that era, we're, we're all kind of the same, same age. And uh, you're mentioning Cal Ripken Jr. His rookie card was in my favorite all-time uh, baseball card set, and that was the 1983 top set. I don't know if you, if you had his rookie yep. card or not. Yep. But. yep, yep, absolutely. I still know what it looks like. <laughs> on that, on, on that note with Ripken, he was actually my favorite non-brewer growing up too, Pete. And uh, I live out in Washington D.C. and I just had, I just ran into him uh, last year. He was out Christmas shopping, and I had, had to pass on the street. I did a double take. He ended up talking to me for ten minutes. It was uh, oh wow, I'm a grown man now, but quite a highlight. <laughs> well, just feeling like a kid. You just feel like a kid. I know. I, I would be the same way to be honest with you. It's just uh, you know, some guys are just larger than life. You know, it was crazy. All right, Pete, inning number three here. Um, let's see, what's your favorite food and drink to have at a baseball game? Uh, and then it's kind of a two-part question. Uh, favorite restaurant or food that, as a player traveling around the country as a minor leaguer? Yeah, so uh, sitting at a ballpark, I, I honestly, like, um, I like sitting there with a bag of peanuts. I, I don't know, and like a soda. I think to me that's just just, you know, enjoying cracking them open and, and eating peanuts at a game and, and drinking the soda with it and, uh 
in the minor leagues, I mean, there's just so many places that were just dives. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically traveling uh, on a bus for 10 to 12 hours and a lot of Burger King and gas stop McDonald's and um, places like that. But honestly, the, nothing really stood out to me food. Well, I could talk to you about big league food because it's a whole different ballgame. Um, but minor leagues is just, uh, I don't know. To me, it was, it was, I like the difference. Um, I like trying different, you know, cultures and cuisines and, and going down to New Orleans and playing down there and, you know, having, having, you know, that type of food and then traveling to, you know, other places across the country and, and experiencing differences. Awesome. Well, okay. Let's do big right. league food then. What's your favorite with that? <laughs> big league food? Well, you know, what's crazy is, is that when you're, you get to the big, like, it's it's such night and day. It's like, you know, you're in the minor leagues and you have peanut butter and jelly and bananas and granola bars. And then you get to the big leagues and you walk in and there's a chef in the clubhouse that, you know, asks you what you want to have made for, for lunch. And then after there's, you know, steak and lobster for dinner, uh, totally different ball game. But, you know, I think being in the big leagues and, and getting on a plane and choosing between steak and lobster on an airplane, uh, to me, was, was probably the most memorable thing. That's awesome. All right, fourth inning, Pete. Um, one other aspect of especially minor league baseball is rain delays. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on them as a player. What were, what would you do during a rain delay? Did you enjoy it, or was it frustrating not be on the field? Uh, we prayed for them, especially in the minor leagues in, especially in <laughs> Daytona Beach when it's 110 degrees out. Uh, every every minor leaguer prays for rainouts, and if they tell you different, they're lying. Uh, there's a there's a tradition there's a tradition in in pro ball and especially in the minor leagues called the rain turtle, um, and what it is is you just draw a big circle with legs as the shell the big circle for the shell the legs and the head right outside the locker room on the warning track, and uh, everybody who comes out you know for batting practice and it um, you know if it looks like it's going to rain or or it's cloudy everybody spits into the rain turtle to kind of bring the rain and. Uh, you know, for for us, we played so many games in a row and, and so many, you know, um, road trips and bus trips and everybody gets tired, especially later in the season, that some of those rain delays are, you know, are welcomed. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right, look, fifth inning. Um, now, you mentioned earlier about your major league debut and, of course, um, your first big league hit and all that, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, those things. What are what was your what stands out as kind of like your favorite baseball moment, either in the minors or or majors or college for that matter? Favorite baseball moment. Um, wow. Um, I I think maybe in college. Um, I think in college maybe winning the Big East championship with my teammates and um, you know, it was a, a team that. We weren't supposed to win um, going down to uh, – after we won the Big East tournament, I think going down to the regionals and uh, we were facing Auburn, uh, who won the SEC tournament uh, in the opening day of the regionals. And um, we just basically weren't supposed to even be there. And all, we were in Florida State, and Florida State fans all wanted us to win. There was a packed house at Florida State. They all wanted us to beat Auburn. And uh, we went out and beat them, I think it was 17-15. Uh, we put up a tremendous amount of runs against them and – fans were cheering for us. We were getting standing ovations. We were getting curtain calls in college, you know, in front of like 2,000 people just because they wanted us to beat Auburn. And uh, it was really an incredible experience, especially being a college kid. It was really, you know, really, really special. Oh, that sounds awesome. You don't hear a lot of 17-15 uh, games either. It had to be an awful lot of offense. I, I was going to ask you, um, inning number six here, um, 
any – see, I'm learning so much. Like, I, this is the first I've ever heard of a rain turtle, so this is why I love these interviews. <laughs> but um, what are um, any funny pranks or, or hijinks that you or your teammates were a part of at, at any point in your baseball career? Yeah, so so for me that was like my forte. Like like in you know Skip Schumacher and myself, we always laugh about it. We'd always, especially in in AAA, we did a lot of these. Um, we just had a lot of fun in the clubhouse. There's so much downtime in baseball that you have to do something or else you're gonna go crazy. Um, you know, so we would always mess around with everybody. From we, we've got a lot of the Dominican guys um, because they scare very easily with uh, with snakes. So we'd get a lot of the fake rubber snakes and we'd put them in their locker and they'd go grab their hat and there'd be a snake <laughs> under their hat and they would scream and throw it. And um, it was a lot of fun. And the other thing we would do is uh, we got one of those electrical shock pens and uh, we had a rule in our clubhouse in, uh, in AAA that anybody that comes in, whether they're, um, you know, called up from AA, if they're a free agent or if they come down from the big leagues, um, you have to go up to them with the shock pen and ask them to sign a ball for one of the fans that wanted their autograph. So uh, one time, Bill Pulsifer, um, he, he got moved down from the big leagues, and uh, he was not happy about being down in AAA. And and uh, Skip looked at me and he was like, he's like, we have to do it. I'm like, I know it's our rule, we have to do it. Nobody wanted to do it. And I'm like, give me the ball and the pen. So I walk <laughs> over. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Bill, uh, you gotta sign, you gotta sign this for one of the fans. And he's like, all right, no problem. And he he squeezes the pen and it shocks the hell out of him. He takes the ball, goes about 95 miles an hour across the <laughs> locker room, and everybody started laughing. And he uh, he had to laugh because he didn't want to look like a jerk, but I don't think he was real happy about it. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that. Uh, all right, inning, Maybe, um, maybe you just answered it, but we'll go with it anyway. So, what was your favorite part about playing in the minor leagues, and what did you like the most about it? And I guess as a follow-up, how close to Bull Durham uh, is your minor league experience? David Pember told us that the minors were very, very similar to Bull Durham. So, I'd love to hear your take it, on that as well. It's, it's, it's very similar. Uh, they do a great job of that movie, really capturing what it's like. Um, honestly, what I miss the most is the camaraderie between like my friends and the guys in the clubhouse because they become your family. I mean, you're with these guys for six and a half months every night. Uh, you guys are, you know, together, you're going out on the field together, you're playing together, um, you know, and they're basically your family. And, and I miss that, those jokes in the locker room. I miss messing around. I miss, uh, you know, doing the fantasy football drafts together and doing all those things that really was a lot of fun being a part of a, part of a team in, in professional baseball. So definitely 100% missed that. I, I also, it's funny, we were talking about this um, last year. Um, we were sitting at a Yankee game, a couple of my friends, and they kind of asked me the same question. And I said, what I miss the most is it's about 10 minutes before pregame. And uh, you see the guys running out in the outfield, stretching and getting loose. And there's just that moment of excitement right before the game starts where you have your full uniform on, you're out in the outfield, you're stretching, the fans are there, there's energy, and the game's about to start. And for me, that's the thing I think I miss the most about baseball is right before the game's about to start, just getting loose in the outfield and, and, and that anticipation of that game starting and the fans pouring into the stadium. I think to me that's one of the things I miss the most. <laughs> that's, awesome. um, that's really awesome. Um, now, you mentioned earlier about long bus rides and whatnot, but uh, – what are what what do you miss least about being a minor league player? Um, maybe telling a little bit of differences between the, the, obviously the the big leagues and and long bus trips of the minor league. What one thing about being a minor league was the most difficult, uh, including maybe even just being away from you know 
far away from home and such like, you know, being sent to Beloit, Wisconsin, uh, to frigid temperatures, stuff, something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, um, the hardest thing about, you know, baseball for me is that, you know, it's out of your control. It's, it's, you can set goals and you can hit goals and you can do everything that you need to do. And, and it's always somebody else's decision. It's different than a sport like golf. I mean, you can go out and you shoot a 64, it's a 64. Nobody has to like your swing. Nobody has to like the way you putt. Nobody has to, you know, judge you. There's no scouts evaluating you. If you shoot a 64, it's a 64. Jim Furyk's got the worst swing on tour, but he's on tour. And in, in baseball, it's a little different because you can do everything right and you can have a great year and you can have, you know, great stats. And it's just somebody still has to like you. You still have to fit. And for me, that's the one thing that was the hardest thing is that it's just out of your control. No matter what you do, it's always in somebody else's hands. Oh, well, all right. Last question on inning number nine here. Um, wanted to know if uh, – now, baseball players tend to be sometimes maybe a little bit superstitious. Uh, do you have any superstitions of your own? And if not, what is what is the weirdest one that you've heard of uh, between, uh, I guess, with maybe one of your friends or teammates? Um. Yeah, I, I mean, everybody's superstitious or OCD, whatever you want to say it is. Um, you know, if something works, uh, you, you do it again. Um, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. If you had a couple of hits or you step into a box a certain way or you touch the plate a couple of times a certain way, um, you know, that's sort of I, – I, everybody has those those superstitions. I didn't have any crazy ones myself, um, you know, of other people that of what I've heard. I mean, there's been so many different things. One guy – uh, you know, we had, uh, especially in the minors, you, you shower in these horrendous conditions and, you know, you're in Quad City or you're somewhere and, and the, the plumbing's all backed up and everybody goes in the shower. And if you're not in there early, there's about a foot of water um, that you got to step into in the main shower. And one pitcher would always do uh, head first slides into the water when everybody was done because for some <laughs> godforsaken reason, he thought it was good luck. And uh, he would bring in he would bring in goggles and he would slide headfirst into the mucky, <laughs> disgusting water. And for him, that was his superstition of, of that would, would would make him pitch well. So yeah, it's uh, everybody has them, uh, just to what degree. Hey, Pete, I know that stories are supposed to stay in the clubhouse, but do you want to reveal who that pitcher was? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I had to, I had to ask. Um, let's, let's do one uh, one one. Extra innings question really quick, uh, Pete. What do you, uh, where do you think the Brewers are going to finish here in uh, 2019? There's a lot of optimism right now in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, you know, if they stay healthy and, and uh, you know, I think they're going to make a pretty darn good run. Uh, I think it's a tough division. That's the biggest problem with, uh, you know, with the Brewers and, and with, you know, it's just the division there. And we have the Cardinals who are always there. You have the Cubs that are going to be good. Um, you know, so I think – there should be a lot of optimism for that team. They have a ton of talent. Um, I'm just hoping that they can, you know, come out on top of that division and, and just stay healthy and make a really good run at it. Well, that's great. Well, once again, we'd like to extend a special thanks to you, uh, Bur former Brewers outfielder Pete Zocalillo, for joining us on the set of the Brew Crew Review tonight. Uh, Pete, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for coming on. Anytime, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Well, once again, thanks to our special guest, former Milwaukee Brewers outfielder Pete Zuccolillo, for being our guest on our show tonight. Uh, on behalf of uh, Craig, Chad, and Scott, this is Vince Trovato with the Brew Crew Review, reminding you to give us a follow on Twitter at Brew Crew Review 1. And we will try to get to your uh, 
email questions next week, I promise. But uh, in the meantime, keep sending those to Brew Crew Review Podcasts with an S at gmail.com. So thanks, everybody. Keep listening and go Brewers. Stay classy, Wisconsin. Go Brewers. Stay classy. Go Brewers. Yeah.